Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us once again today through your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're beginning a new sermon series entitled The Baptized Life. This series is based on the lectionary readings in the Gospels, that's those readings appointed to be read in the church each week, focused mainly in Mark's Gospel during this season of Epiphany. And these readings will help us to understand our identity as those who have put on Christ's death and resurrection in baptism and define and shape who we are to be and what we are to do as those who have been baptized. And Jesus' life, of course, exemplifies the baptized life par excellence. We see that in the faithfulness and obedience of Jesus, in his following of God's call, in how he shared the good news of God breaking afresh into the world, we see this played out. And we'll be looking at these themes in the coming weeks. But this morning, on this day after the Epiphany, the church remembers and celebrates the baptism of Christ. And it has long been the tradition of the church that baptisms take place on this day. And it's our tradition that we follow here at Ascension. And looking forward to baptizing uh, Liesl and Caleb later in our service. And if we are to understand our identity in Christ as baptized people, then there's no better place to start, I suggest, than the readings appointed for today. Before we can grasp and live into our callings and tasks as Christians, we need to understand our identity as Christians. Before we do anything, let us understand who we are. Another way to put this might be to say that being precedes doing. The baptism of Jesus marks the beginning of his public ministry, a very busy, full ministry that lasted three years. But before that, he spent some 30 years or so in relative obscurity in a small village called Nazareth. We know very little about those years, except for a few snippets in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke that reveal a simple life marked by the love of parents, family devotion to God, and annual pilgrimages from Nazareth up to Bethlehem for the Passover. Very ordinary stuff. Jesus grew up in a poor family marked by love, faithfulness, devotion to God, and most likely a lot of hard work. He never married. We have no record of Jesus doing miracles or being credited with any great achievements in those first 30 years. And St. Mark doesn't have anything at all to say about that period of Jesus' life. He begins his gospel with John the Baptist, who came pointing to Jesus. And after a six-verse introduction, gets straight to the point with the account of Jesus' baptism. And that's where we are today. And I want you to notice this morning what is said about Jesus and who says it. When Jesus was baptized by John, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. 
and a voice from heaven said, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Who is speaking? Well, the text tells us. A voice from heaven. God the Father is speaking to God the Son, to Jesus. And God the Holy Spirit is present, having descended upon Jesus like a dove. Before Jesus has done anything of noteworthiness, God the Father tells him how much he is loved. Being precedes doing. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And it was with these words ringing in his ears that Jesus began his public ministry. And this ministry spanned three years and comprised a lot of doing and traveling and working and healing and teaching and preaching and suffering, being maligned, misunderstood, hated, rejected, falsely accused, wrongly imprisoned, cruelly beaten, tortured, and strung up on a cross to die. But before any of that, beloved, beloved, Jesus was beloved, not because he did all those things, but first because the Father loved him. And because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, formed a community of love. When Liesl Quinn and Caleb Sham are presented for baptism in our service today, they will be brought by their parents and godparents and grandparents and wider family and friends. Why? Because they are the cutest, smartest, most talented, gifted, accomplished babies ever to live? No! <laughs> Sorry, Grandpa, no! They'll be presented because these babies are beloved. They are beloved by their parents and grandparents and godparents, etc. And they're brought also that they might be received and welcomed into the church family where they are beloved by God and be commissioned to serve God and in due course to do all that they'll be called to do. But first, before any of that, they need to know who they are, children of God, deeply, profoundly loved by God. Sheer grace, unmerited, unearned, undeserved. Indeed, let's face it, what do babies really bring to the table on the day of their baptism? I mean, what can they do? I mean, if they're healthy, they sleep, they eat, they cry, they poop, and they pee. I mean, that's about it, right? You know, historically, when infants were baptized, they would be given a new name, a Christian name, hence the term christening. Today, as we celebrate the baptism of Jesus, and think on these words spoken by God the Father to equip and empower Jesus for his ministry, I wonder what names, and I'm not thinking now of your Christian names, what names do you have for yourself in the privacy of your own thoughts? You know, barely a week goes by in my work and ministry when I don't meet someone who 
has adopted a name for themselves, a name that haunts or debilitates or crushes them. Names like loser, failure, disappointment, useless. And honestly, I'm guilty of this myself. I, I know I probably look reasonably confident and competent, at least I hope I do, but how often I battle with fears and insecurities. You know, my preferred no-good name for myself is probably idiot. I often think, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm not productive enough. I, I speak too soon or I say too much or simply the wrong things. And if it's not already true, it's only a matter of time before everyone here is going to be absolutely sick of me. I am such an idiot. And I share this not because I'm looking for, for strokes or affirmations from you. Rather, I just, I just want to be real. <laughs> I want to be honest with you. You see, what I need to be reminded of today and often is what God thinks of me. And to hear first his affirmation. I need to know first and last that God loves me. And I should imagine you need to know that too. So this morning, hear what God thinks of you. And if your default names for yourself are negative, judgmental, defeatist names, try one of these instead. Deeply loved, beloved daughter, my son in whom I delight. That's what Jesus knew and heard when he was baptized. And those are the words and names we all need to hear. Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But why of all people did Jesus need to be baptized? Surely the one and only person who did not need to be baptized was Jesus. He was without sin. He had no need to repent and no need to receive forgiveness. And that's true. And yet, Jesus identified fully with sinful men and women in the waters of baptism as a picture of who he was and what he had come to do. The reason he was born was to die. And this act of submission and obedience at the River Jordan was a precursor to his self-sacrifice on the cross. But you know, submission and, and obedience was not the mental idea and notion people had of the promised Messiah. The Savior, the one who would restore Israel and mete out justice, was surely not that kind of person. They were waiting and looking and longing for a warrior. But here again, the words of the prophet Isaiah that we heard a moment ago, which point forward to Jesus. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed 
he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And St. John proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I've baptized you with water, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was that one, that promised one, the one who is coming with power. But what kind of power? What kind of power did he come with? Well, certainly not the kind of power that people were expecting. For Jesus came quietly and meekly and humbly, not shouting, not trampling down foreign armies or the weak or the poor, but instead trampling down the power of death itself through his finished work on the cross. And he came caring passionately about the bruised reeds and the smoldering wicks. And the baptism Jesus brought was the baptism of the Holy Spirit with forgiveness and life. The power for a life of service, of suffering, of truth, of justice. A life lived for others. And that power is not natural. That is not the expected outcome of our child-rearing, frankly, or our schooling and a million student loans. The outcome we are promised for all of that is success and wealth and prestige and honor, a good life. And I'm sure most want these things, and they're not intrinsically bad things. But the calling that we have at our baptism is to higher things and to greater things. We are called to love and serve God and to share the good news of Jesus with others. And we will reaffirm, all of us will get the opportunity to reaffirm our commitment to that today. But we cannot do these things by simply working harder, studying harder, trying harder. We can only do these things by coming with open hands and open hearts, bringing nothing of our own strengths and abilities, but a readiness and a willingness to receive what God promised to give us, his very self, his Holy Spirit, whose work is to convict us of sin, yes, to lead us into truth and righteousness, yes, and to empower us for service, to encourage and equip and enable us to be the children of God that in Christ we truly are. And that's why we bring children and older folks who can profess repentance and faith for themselves. The repentance and faith for the children is professed vicariously by their parents and godparents. That's why we bring all those who wish to be baptized to baptism on that basis. And we come to the waters of baptism not as a sign of our worthiness or our strength or our goodness, but in recognition that only by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, can we find forgiveness? Can we be changed and transformed? Jesus' baptism took place right at the very beginning of his ministry. And this marked the start of his preaching and teaching and healing. This was his commissioning to do the work for which he had been sent. In John's Gospel, we read that Jesus himself said, I can do nothing on my own. I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, 
but to do the will of him who sent me. And Jesus was able to live as he did because he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of that power from God. And so after I baptize Liesel and Caleb today, I will anoint them and make the sign of the cross on their foreheads. As I say, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. What a promise. Now, I'm sure we know folks who have been baptized who don't, in fact, live in the light of that promise and their baptisms. Perhaps they forget or ignore or even reject the promise, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Indeed, never mind anybody else. I suspect most of us do exactly that from time to time and that we're guilty of trying to live the Christian life without relying on the Holy Spirit. How ridiculous is that? But let us hold on to the fact of our baptisms and remember, as I was telling the children earlier, what Martin Luther taught. Not merely to say, I was baptized in the past, true though that may be, but rather present tense, I am baptized. And if you've been baptized, say it with me. I am baptized. You who have been baptized have been signed and sealed as Christ's own forever. Claim that promise this morning for yourself and for your children. And in terms of living that out, well, I'm convinced that so much of what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus comes about through very ordinary things, through simply showing up day to day, surrendering our wills to God's will, remembering who we are in God's eyes, and then humbly seeking a fresh infilling, empowering, and releasing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We only baptize once, but we need that release of the Spirit again and again and again. And so we need daily to turn from our self-reliance and to God for His help and His strength and His love and His grace. Being precedes doing. And we need to be ready, willing, and open to allow God to fill us and empower us with his Holy Spirit. And so those who are brought for baptism, they need help. Of course, they need the help of their own families, but they need the help of their church family. Oh, good, Caleb's woken up. He can listen now. That's very good. Caleb needs help. Liesel needs help. We all need help. Hence the question that is asked every time there's a baptism. Will you who witness these vows do all in your power to support these persons in their life in Christ? Do we? Do you? Okay, so how might we do that? And there are many uh, ways you might like to ponder that question further, either on your own or around the lunch table today or in your community group this week. But at the very least, we corporately can be a people who pray for one another. 
And that's part of, if you say we will later, that's part of what you're committing to do. And I want you to take that commitment seriously. And let me give you a practical way that you might do that. The new church directory is uh, coming out very soon. And maybe you already have one. You can use that or wait for the new one. I use that. Um, I try to use it every day. I don't always succeed. But that is one of the things I use to pray for you all. And I commend that to everybody to use, that we might pray for one another. And you can do it at whatever pace you like. And you can do it multiple times. And you know, if you do that and you find that you don't know somebody's name, that's okay. God knows them and loves that person. What a great way to learn some names. And more than that, maybe next Sunday when you come and you've been praying for someone and you bump into them, you can match up some of those faces and names. Now, I should warn you, it's possible uh, that you might come across someone that you don't like very much or who's hurt you. Well, guess what? You get to pray for them too. And so we can support one another in prayer. We can also support one another with the gift of time or listening, just being present, or visiting someone who's sick, or making a meal, or babysitting. There's no shortage of ways. But let me say this again. All of that doing, which is what we're called to do, it is, but all of that doing must flow from a deep place of being, being in the presence of God, knowing that we are beloved by God. And that doesn't just happen. I think it takes real intentionality on our part. And so each day, we need to be a people that takes time to stop, to put away the cell phone, to take time to be still, to meditate on God's Word, to read God's Word. We need to take time to pray before our Maker, listening to Him, receiving His love, pouring our hearts out to Him and seeking to know his good and perfect will for our lives. And so each week we need to come back here, as, as we've come today, to worship God, to encourage one another, to grow closer in our relationships to one another and to God. And so as I close, I, I invite you, if you would, to join with me in prayer, in the quietness of your own heart. And I, and I offer this prayer for ourselves individually, but also for our selves together corporately as God's people in this place. So would you bow your heads? Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for his example to us. Thank you for his obedience in baptism and above all in being willing to go to the cross to die for us in our place that we might be forgiven. Lord, we confess to you that we have too often tried too much to live our lives without fully trusting you, without relying on your Holy Spirit to help us. Please forgive us for our selfishness, our, our foolish self-reliance. Heavenly Father, help us to know in the deepest places of our lives how much you love us. Would you banish the lies and the names that the evil one would like us to hear or claim for ourselves? And instead, may we hear and receive your delight in us and know that we, like Jesus, are truly your beloved. 
Come, Holy Spirit, I pray, and fill us afresh. Flood through our lives and our church. Purge all that is not of you. Cleanse us. Renew us. Fill us. All this we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.